This is Condopedia. Here we talk about everything related to condo law in Ontario, with hopefully some humor mixed in. So as I said, it, the weather's getting a little bit cooler. It's a great time to be at your lunch and learn sessions for our fall condo crunch. These are our sessions where we try and impart as much information as possible in 30 to 45 minutes. So a quick reminder, we don't take any live questions during our session. So again, just a display of information with no live questions. So we're going to go into some very Great topic today. Obviously, it's a really important topic. We have about 500 people registered to attend today, so it is a hot topic in the industry. Status certificates. Status certificates really are potentially your biggest source of liability at a condominium corporation. That's why we thought it would be a great back-to-school, back-to-basics topic. And we're going to have three fantastic speakers today. We have Jessica, Christy, and Victoria. And we are going to start off with Jessica giving us a summary of what a status certificate is all about. And then Jess, I think you're going to talk to us about paragraphs 5, 8, and 11 after that. Am I correct? Absolutely. All right. Turning it over to you. Great. Thanks, Nancy. So we are very excited to be here today to talk about status certificates because they really are one of the most important documents in condominium law administration. Section 76 of the Condominium Act deals with issuing status certificates and confirms that a corporation must issue a status certificate within 10 days after receiving a request and receiving the applicable payment. Anyone is entitled to request a status certificate. It doesn't have to be the owner of the unit. And it's really intended to give a snapshot at a moment in time with respect to the corporation and the particular unit that it relates to. It binds the corporation as of the date it's given with respect to the information that it contains. And because of its binding nature, great care should be taken in reviewing and preparing it. If it's later found out not to be accurate, there may be issues for the condominium corporation that flow from that. So it's really important that you're carefully considering each paragraph when you're completing it. The required form of the status certificate is set out in the regulations to the Condominium Act, and the form lists the documents that the corporation has to deliver along with the completed status certificate. I'm sure most of you are very familiar with the form, and today we're going to go through and talk about a few important paragraphs in the status certificate and the things you should be thinking about when you're preparing those paragraphs. So first up for me is paragraph five, which requires the condominium corporation to advise whether or not the unit is in default of payment of common expenses, and if so, whether a certificate of lien has been registered against the unit. So the first question that you're going to want to be asking yourself when you're completing paragraph five is, is the owner in arrears, including any chargebacks? If yes, you're going to want to disclose that amount on the status certificate in paragraph five. It's very important to ensure that the corporation can rely on this disclosure, or it's very important to ensure that the corporation can rely on that disclosure in the event the unit is subsequently sold. If the arrears are disclosed in paragraph five and are not paid before the unit is sold, the corporation can then seek to recover those arrears from the new owner as they attach to the unit and not the owner. If there are existing arrears at the time the status certificate is issued and they're not disclosed and the unit then sells, the corporation might not be able to recover those amounts from the new owner. So it's important that any arrears are closely tracked and disclosed on the status certificate in paragraph five. As you know, if the unit is in arrears, the corporation should be making sure that it gets a condominium lien registered within the statutory time period. To be safe, we recommend reaching out to your legal counsel once the unit is in arrears for about two months to make sure the notice of lien can be sent and the certificate of lien can be registered before the end of that third month. 
If a lien has been registered, you're going to want to indicate on the status certificate in paragraph five that it's been registered. Um, and I know our firm has some additional language that we like to include if there's a lien on title and our office is handling the collection. So if that's the case for the unit in question, we recommend reaching out to your legal counsel and asking if they have any additional language that they want you to include in paragraph five regarding the lien or the amounts owing. Next, I'm going to discuss paragraph eight, which I think is often overlooked when preparing a status certificate. This paragraph reads as follows. There are no amounts that the Condominium Act requires be added to the common expenses payable for the unit except blank. When completing the certificate, you would provide a brief description of any amount that would apply. So you're going to be asking yourself, is there any outstanding or potential chargeback against the unit that I need to disclose in this section? In short, this paragraph is about any amounts that the corporation has or will incur with respect to the unit in question and those amounts the corporation is authorized to add to the common expenses payable for the unit. That might include the following. First, is the unit responsible for any portion of a deductible on the corporation's property insurance policy that has or will be charged back to the unit under either Section 105 of the Condominium Act or any insurance deductible bylaw in place at that corporation? If so, that amount should be disclosed. Is there any Section 98 agreement governing modifications made to the common elements by that owner that has been breached and resulted in costs for which the owner is responsible? Under the terms of that Section 98 agreement, these costs will usually be added to the common expenses for the owner's unit. And if you know that sort of situation has come up for this unit, these costs should be disclosed. If the corporation has already been required or may be required to carry out any repair or maintenance work that the corporate uh, that the owner should have done and is not performed within a reasonable time in accordance with section 92, those costs also need to be disclosed in paragraph 8. So there may be additional provisions again in the corporation's declaration that would also allow a condominium corporation to levy additional charges as common expenses. So you'll want to be familiar again with those in your declaration. If the corporation has already incurred costs that fall into these categories and has or is about to add them to the common expenses for the unit, they should be disclosed in paragraph eight. However, it's not always as straightforward if the costs in question have not been incurred yet, and it might be easy to forget about these costs. So when completing the status certificate, don't just skip over this paragraph. You should really think about whether there are any circumstances surrounding the particular unit, which may require the corporation to incur these sorts of costs and add them to the common expenses. If you're aware of circumstances with the unit that might result in costs being added to the common expenses payable for the unit, those future costs with which the corporation is aware might need to be incurred, they should be disclosed. And if you're not sure whether a particular situation might apply uh, for paragraph eight, you're going to want to check with your corporation's legal counsel and they can give you some direction as to whether it might be applicable to disclose in paragraph eight. Lastly, uh, I'm going to talk about paragraph 11, which is another one I think there can be some confusion about. Paragraph 11 reads, since the date of the budget of the corporation for the current fiscal year, the board either has or has not levied a special assessment against the unit to increase the contribution to the reserve fund or the corporation's operating fund or for any other purpose. So when completing that paragraph, you're going to ask yourself, have any special assessments been levied? If so, you're going to want to set out the amount and the reason for the special assessment in paragraph 11. I want to draw your attention to the first words of paragraph 11, which read, since the date of the budget of the corporation for the current fiscal year. This is relevant to determine whether a particular special assessment needs to be disclosed in that paragraph. If a special assessment was levied before the date of the budget, 
The presumption is that it is captured by the corporation's budget, so does not need to be disclosed separately in this paragraph. That said, any outstanding special assessments need to be flagged in the status certificate, either in paragraph 11 that we're talking about or in paragraph 12, which Christy will be talking about momentarily. If it's after the date of your budget for the current fiscal year and the corporation has had to levy a special assessment, that's what you need to disclose. If the special assessment's already been paid, you don't need to include it. If you do include it, you'll want to ensure that your certificate confirms that it's been paid. The paragraph requires you to disclose any special assessment that has been levied. That word is intended to provide the board with some guidance as to the point in time which information regarding the increase in assessment needs to be disclosed. Generally speaking, once the details of the special assessment are confirmed and owners have been notified of the special assessment, the information should be included in paragraph 11. That said, before the details are confirmed, when the board is just at the point where it knows a special assessment will be required, that information should be included in paragraph 12, which again, Christy will talk about momentarily. If you have questions about this for a particular situation, again, that's what your legal counsel is there for. Be sure to reach out to them and they can give you some direction about what information should be included and when. That's all for me. Next up is going to be Christy, who's going to be talking about a fan favorite, which is paragraph 12. Fantastic, Jessica. Thank you so much. And it is a really tricky issue. And Christy, uh, she's going to get into paragraph 12 is where we see a lot of trickier issues. Where to disclose or sorry, when to disclose uh, to balance that fine line of making sure purchasers are advised of circumstances and know of what might be coming up versus uh, things that are maybe still in the works. So Christy, paragraph 12, maybe the biggest source of liability. Over to you. Thank you. Yeah, so I get the easy job today. I'm only dealing with one paragraph. But that said, as Jessica and Nancy have both mentioned, it is probably the most important paragraph in the status certificate. They're all important, but this one is particularly important. Paragraph 12 reads, the corporation has no knowledge of any circumstances that may result in an increase in the common expenses of the unit, except, and then details can be provided after that with respect to any knowledge of any circumstances that may result in an increase in the common expenses. So the wording of this paragraph is very, it doesn't contain words like shall or any certainty with respect to the details or the circumstances. So as Jessica mentioned, it's this, this is not the paragraph where you would include details respecting special assessments that are known in terms of the timing and the amount. This is the paragraph where you would include any details respecting any financial risk, in particular, any potential special assessment and or increase in common expenses. So again, the purpose of this paragraph is to disclose financial risk to a purchaser with respect to their purchase of a unit. As I've sort of described here, the, the information that needs to be included here is any information respecting any potential increase. So you don't need to have details uh, you don't need to know with certainty that it's even going to happen, that whatever the circumstances are, are necessarily going to result in an increase in common expenses or a special assessment. It's The threshold is that there's information that could result or may result in an increase in common expenses or a special assessment. So as soon as the corporation, so that's the board or its manager, become aware of any such circumstances, something needs to go into paragraph 12 to disclose the financial risk associated with those known circumstances. The particular wording can be, I guess, adjusted to address the level of certainty that you're dealing with. So if it's not a certainty, uh, the wording 
can reflect that, that it's just a possibility that there's there, it's not known that this is necessarily going to happen. Sometimes when you're dealing with a more complex situation, it may be wise to get legal counsel with respect to uh, the wording of paragraph 12 to ensure that you're adequately disclosing the risk while not necessarily scaring people away unnecessarily. Paragraph 12 is a bit of a catch-all paragraph. So again, it's intention. the intention is to disclose any, any circumstances that present potential financial risks. So just to go over a few examples, the biggest example is if you receive a reserve fund plan, either in draft, even if it's just in draft or, or final version, obviously, that indicates there, there is a need to specially assess owners or increase common expenses beyond the rate of inflation, that should be disclosed. So again, even if all you've got is a draft reserve fund plan and it indicates there's going to be a need to increase the contributions to the reserve fund beyond the rate of inflation, that needs to go into paragraph 12. Again, the wording can be adjusted to reflect where you're at in terms of finalizing a reserve fund plan. If it's just the draft plan, that can be reflected in the wording. One thing that often comes up in, in this particular scenario, or I guess feedback that we often receive from managers or board members is that the owners aren't yet aware of this potential increase or what's coming down the pipe. So we can't put it into the status certificate because it wouldn't be fair to the owners to find out that way. Unfortunately, even in a situation where owners aren't yet aware, the information is brand new, it hasn't yet been shared with owners, it still needs to go into the status certificate. So in some circumstances, you may want to reach out to the, the vendor of the unit to give them a head. This wording is now included in the status certificate. Ideally, when there's wording that's included in paragraph 12 that discloses potential risk, that same information is shared with the owners in a timely manner so that they're not surprised when a, a potential purchaser comes to them and says, what is this? that I see in paragraph 12 of your status certificate for your corporation, it indicates that there's some sort of planned increase here. So if you share the information to, with the owners, just through a note to the owners or a memo to the owners, then that can help sort of alleviate that situation. But again, even if you're in a situation where you, you haven't had time to do that, it still needs to go into the status certificate because that's, that's what the act requires. So the legal obligation is to disclose the risk, regardless of what information has yet been shared with the owners. Another example in terms of what you would put into paragraph 12 is when, you, when you're when you dealing with unexpected repair and maintenance costs. So repair and maintenance costs that are not contemplated by the corporation's reserve fund plan. So something unanticipated comes up, it's a significant expense, and it's going to throw off your reserve fund planning. So either you have to deplete your reserve fund and then make it up through increased contributions, or you have to make a separate contribution to the reserve fund by way of special assessment or increase common expenses. But that's a situation anytime the reserve fund is plan is thrown off, that's information that needs to go into the status certificate until you've, you've sorted out how exactly the expense is going to be funded. Sometimes you can update your reserve fund plan to adjust the numbers to soften the financial impact on owners. And sometimes they don't see any increase in common expenses or a special assessment as a result. But unless and until you've done that, the risk for an increase needs to go into paragraph 12 if there's an expense that's not anticipated by your plan. Any costs associated with legal action. So when you're dealing, when the corporation is party to a legal action, Victoria is going to talk about legal actions actually and the types of legal actions that need to be disclosed in the status certificate. But even though those get disclosed separately in the status certificate, 
the legal legal costs associated with those actions need to be addressed in paragraph 12 if there's a chance that those costs could throw off uh, the corporation's uh, could could result in an increase in common expenses or a special assessment. So you're ideally going to be budgeting for your legal expenses, but there are often circumstances. And again, your your legal counsel will be able to provide you with advice in this respect. But there are circumstances where even where you budget based on uh, numbers that you, you perhaps get from your lawyer, uh, that it's not always predictable. So it's a good idea when you're dealing with a legal action to disclose the fact that the corporation has costs associated with that that are not necessarily either planned or or could uh, over time result in increased common expenses or a special assessment. Likewise, any expense that may exceed budget is something that needs to go into paragraph 12. So often, I know this year, a lot of condominium corporations, like in past years, were dealing with excess snow costs. So that's the kind of thing that if you anticipate that coming, if you know that the snow loads are exceeding your the centimeter maximum in your contract, you can sort of see that coming down the pipe, then you're going to want to disclose that likelihood of or that potential risk of an increase in common expenses or special assessment in order to deal with that additional cost. I also just wanted to mention, Jessica touched on this already with respect to paragraph 11, but where you're dealing with any outstanding special assessment. So if you have not disclosed an outstanding, if the special assessment is not specified in paragraph 11 as one that was levied after the current budget came into play, then it needs to go into paragraph 12 if it has not yet been paid. So if it's an older special assessment or if it's one that is planned over the course of a number of fiscal years, it needs to go into paragraph 12. Obviously, it's a, it's a financial risk that's not necessarily disclosed in the corporation's budget. I do want to mention as well that even if there's documents that are attached to your status certificate that will provide the information that a purchaser needs to make these assessments for themselves. So for example, if you have a notice of future funding that indicates a special assessment is going to be required for, to in, increase contributions to the reserve fund over the course of the next two or three years, let's say that notice of future funding is going to be attached to the status certificate, but that's not enough. The fact that there's going to be increases also needs to be flagged specifically in either paragraph 11 or 12, depending on where you're at in your budget year. The last thing I wanted to mention with respect to paragraph 12 is it's a good idea to flag any outstanding legal actions. As I mentioned, you're going to want to flag any legal the potential for increase in common expenses associated with the legal costs of any such actions. But if you're dealing with an action on an ongoing basis that could have other implications for the corporation, you're going to want to flag that in paragraph 12 particularly if the status certificate being issued involves the unit owner or tenant of the unit for which the certificate is being issued. It may make sense to include specific information for, for that unit at paragraph 12. Your legal counsel, again, will be able to provide you with information uh, in that respect. And that's all I had to say about paragraph 12. Fabulous. Thank you, Christy. And as Christy was mentioning, there are so many different examples that you can be looking at. And if you look up status certificates in any type of legal database, you're going to see that that's where we see a lot of court decisions coming out about what should or should not have been disclosed. I'm going to share my screen for two seconds, just for anybody who is new to condos, if you haven't seen what a status certificate looks like, I'll just share my screen very quickly. Uh, so the this is obviously our status certificate that we're going through here under 
7601. I use the condo authority website form, the fillable form, just so that it's easy for people to find. You could just Google status certificate uh, and you'll be able to find it. So we've talked about, so far about paragraph five right here. We've talked about paragraph eight. We've talked about paragraph 11. Chrissy just finished paragraph 12. So again, the numbering that we're using is on the standard form that you'd find on the Condo Authority website. And we're going to now turn to Vic, who's going to talk about 19, 21, and 23. So these are that's where you'll find these if you just scroll down in your certificate. Again, we're reading each of the sections as we go through so that you know what the wording says. But this is where you'll find it. That's what it looks like. So I'll stop my share. Christy, thank you so much. And we're going to turn it over to Vic now. Thanks, Nancy. So like section 12, section 19 is another really important section of the status certificate. Uh, this section requires the condominium corporation to disclose if it's involved in a in any proceeding before a court of law, an arbitrator, or an administrative tribunal. So this means that if the condominium corporation is a party to a legal proceeding in court, at the human rights tribunal, at the condominium authority tribunal, uh, an arbitration under section 132 of the condominium Act or in some other legal forum, it's obligated to disclose its involvement in these proceedings in Section 19 of the Status Certificate. When disclosing that the condominium is involved in a legal proceeding, we think it makes good sense uh, to include a general overview of that legal proceeding in Section 19. And so you'll want to include details like what the proceeding is about, what are the damages being claimed, who are the parties, the status of the legal proceedings. For example, have the pleadings been served on the other parties? Have productions been exchanged? Um, has mediation or trial been scheduled? and so on. Uh, you'll also want to include details like whether the condominium's insurance is providing coverage for the legal proceeding and or if the condominium's insurer is defending the claim. And then finally, whether the legal costs to be incurred in relation to the legal proceedings are contemplated by the condominium's budget. Now, one point about naming parties that I wanted to mention is that if one of the parties in the legal proceeding is an owner or tenant at the condominium, we typically don't name the owner or tenant within the status certificate and we'll simply refer to the fact that the condominium corporation is involved in a legal proceeding involving an owner or tenant. In our view, it's unnecessary to include or, or to disclose the name of the owner and tenant. This information isn't all that important. What's important is the fact that the condominium corporation is involved in the legal proceeding. Now, having said that, if the status certificate is for the unit owned by a particular owner or tenant who is involved in a legal proceeding with the condominium, additional wording may be required in that case. And so if that occurs, you may want to reach out to legal counsel um, for that particular wording. Um, so somewhat related to section 19 is section 21. This section states that the condominium is required to disclose whether, whether it has an outstanding claim for payment out of the guarantee fund under the Ontario New Home Warranties Plan Act. So this section relates to the warranty process with Tarion. I won't go over the uh, entire Tarion process today, but I'll just state that new residential condominium corporations have the ability to submit a second or a first, second, and seven year warranty claim to Tarion for certain defects resulting from uh, the original construction of the condominium. The guarantee fund referred to in this section is managed by Tarion to protect new home buyers out of which compensation uh, for warranty claims is paid. 
Now, it's not particularly clear uh, what is to be to be disclosed in Section 21 of the status certificate, but we think it makes sense to disclose if you are actively engaged in the warranty process with Tarion. And so when disclosing this information, you'll want to disclose uh, whether you have a first, second, or seven-year warranty claim before Tarion, whether you're in the builder repair period, whether you've requested and or scheduled conciliation, and whether you've appealed Tarion's conciliation assessment. The final section that I'll be chatting about today is section 23. So this section requires the condominium corporation to disclose whether it has entered into an agreement with the owner of a unit under section 98 of the Condominium Act respecting changes to the common elements made by the unit owner. So some examples of common element changes made by a unit owner would be if you built a shed in your exclusive use common element yard, removing a wall within a unit or relocating a common element air conditioner to a different location. As many of you likely know, a unit owner is not permitted to make any changes to the common elements without obtaining the board's approval and entering into an agreement with the condominium corporation under uh, section 98. And also in some cases, the owner will also need to obtain the other owner's approval. Now, the Section 98 agreement essentially will confirm that the owner who has made the change to the common elements is responsible for that change, um, which includes but is not limited to the repair and maintenance of the change and all related costs. Now, if and when the unit sells, this responsibility for the common element change is then transferred over to the new purchaser, which is why it's important to disclose this information under within Section 23 and to attach the Section 98 agreement to the status certificate. The purpose of this is to ensure that the new purchaser is aware that it will take on the responsibility of the common element change if and when it purchases that condominium unit. By disclosing all of this information, the condominium avoids any argument from the purchaser down the road that it's not responsible for the common element change because it because that change wasn't disclosed at the time of purchase. Now, the final issue that I wanted to touch on, it's a tricky issue. It's when uh, a condominium corporation issues a status certificate, and then shortly thereafter, the condominium corporation learns of new or additional information that should have been disclosed within the status certificate. So the question that I'm answering is, if a condominium issues a status certificate, and then shortly after becomes aware of new or additional information that should have been disclosed within the status certificate, should the condominium disclose this new information? So again, this is a very tricky issue. And ultimately, it's going to depend on the circumstances and what new or additional information the condominium corporation has become aware of. Technically, the condominium corporation is only required to issue a status certificate within 10 days of the status certificate request, and that status certificate is only accurate as of the date that it's given or issued. There is no legal obligation on the condominium corporation to update the contents of the status certificate if new information becomes available after the date that it's issued. And so if the buyer has any concern about the condominium between the date that it's received the status certificate and the date of the closing for the condominium unit, then the buyer should really be taking steps to request an updated status certificate. 
Having said all of that, the whole purpose of the status certificate is bring to the attention of the buyer matters which may be of concern to them when contemplating the purchase of a unit. And so in some cases where new information becomes known shortly after a condominium corporation has given a status certificate to the buyer, it might make sense to give an updated status certificate to disclose this new information. Even though the buyer has not requested an updated status certificate, and even though the condominium corporation is under no legal obligation to do so. The purpose of providing the updated status certificate in these specific circumstances is to avoid a claim against the condominium by the buyer for failing to disclose this new or additional information. Again, whether or not it makes sense to provide an updated status certificate is really going to depend on the circumstances of the matter. Now, the risk in disclosing this new or additional information is that it may result in a claim from the seller for contractual interference. If the new information causes the purchaser to raise issue or concern with the seller as a result, as again, the condominium is not under a legal obligation to provide an updated status certificate. And so as you can see, the, these issues are very tricky. And whether you, de you decide to disclose this new or additional information will entirely depend on the circumstances of the matter. Um, as Na Nancy mentioned earlier, status certificates can be a big source of liability. And so in these cases, we suggest that you reach out to your condominiums legal counsel should an issue like this come up. The final point, and on a somewhat related issue, if the corporation issues a status certificate and then learns that the status certificate was missing information, so they didn't learn of new information, they learned that they forgot to include uh, information, relevant information in the status certificate. In that case, if the sale has not closed, we think it's a good idea to send a corrected version of the status certificate as soon as possible. Nancy, that's it for me. Back over to you. Fantastic, Vic. And it may be one of those situations where the corporation has to also put their insurer on notice in the event of a mistake like that. So as you can see, there are so many tricky issues involved with status certificates. We were actually getting a whole bunch of questions. Should this be disclosed? Should this be disclosed? Should this be disclosed? Uh, so as we said at the very beginning, we're sorry, we're not able to answer questions on a on a ad hoc basis during these sessions. These are for imparting information only. So if you do have questions about whether or not something should be disclosed, definitely be sure to reach out to your legal counsel because, again, we don't want to see any condominium corporation being held liable for a failure to disclose something in the status certificate. We also had a lot of requests for emailing copies of this recording. Well, we're going to do one better than that. We actually don't email copies of the recording out, but we do have a podcast. And the podcast is released typically within a couple of weeks after the particular session. It'll have all the information that you heard here today. So you'll be able to stop, rewind, re-listen to any of the particular that you heard from each of the different paragraphs. So stay tuned for the podcast coming out shortly. And our next condo crunch is October 26th, our Halloween edition. We're going to call it Scary Condo Stories. What type of scariness we're not going to say could be scary from the board's perspective, from the owner's perspective, from the lawyer's perspective. It'll be some fun, scary condo stories. October 26th, mark your calendars. There may or may not be costumes. For those of you who are doing CPE credits today, our managers who are attending here today, if you go onto your personal portal, you should see this session highlighted. If you have any troubles with obtaining the session, don't hesitate to reach out to us and we'll try and make sure uh, that we see some 
something uh, or we get some help for you. So on that note, we're going to say thank you so much to everybody for participating today. Watch for the podcast. And we hope to see everybody again on October 26th for our scary condo scories. Have a great rest of your day. Take care. Be safe. Be well. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Condopedia is brought to you by Davidson Hu Allen, a boutique condominium law firm servicing Eastern Ontario. You can find more about our firm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or on our website at davidsoncondolaw.ca. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended to provide legal opinion or advice, which cannot be given without knowing the facts of a specific situation. Use of this podcast does not establish a solicitor and client relationship. The intro and outro music is provided by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com.